Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. More and more scientists think carbon capture is key to reducing CO2 emissions globally. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. That's the unexpected energy of ExxonMobil. Coming up on NFL Live, Melvin Gordon still waiting on that new contract. Our Sam Alapore sat down with him to get the latest on the exact kind of deal he's looking for. And John Elway says he's already found what he's searching for. The Broncos have two quarterback options. Which will they go with as they hit the field today? Plus, Baker Mayfield may have more talent surrounding him in Cleveland than anywhere in football. Mina Kimes gives us the full story of the transformation the Browns have made from underdogs to championship contenders. you got to love it. Welcome to the NFL Live Show. Because this is our intimate studio here for NFL Live. That is what we refer to it as. We're on Dan for a day, We got the <laughs> over here. Victor Cruz, Field Yates, newly married. And uh, it's good to be with you guys, man. It's going to be some fun. Good to light a candle right here. Let's, let's, do, serious sure, conversations. let's, let's do, do our thing. Let's, let's get, get to right our to top it. story right out of L.A. Revolves around Melvin Gordon, his hunt for that new deal. Sam Alipore spent some time with a two-time Pro Bowl running back Wednesday to address the contract situation. Here's what we heard. Nerd hit to that first play comes. Then it's all hard work from them. Hands off to Gordon, works the right side of that line. He's got a lane outside the numbers. 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Flash Gordon. Why is it important for you to have a new deal done now? Just want to be compensated. Just so I, have to, I can go into camp or just play the season and not have to worry about, okay, is this going to be good enough for me to pay me out? You know, it's just... I just don't want to have to worry about that. I just want to go play football. You feel me? Hopefully we get something done. What message do you hope your teammates and fans receive? That, you know, just because, you know, we're going through contract, you know, issues right now don't mean I, you know, I want to get traded or, you know, just, I love being a charger. You know, I don't want to, I don't want them to feel like, you know, I don't want to be there. We had a lot of downs, a couple losing seasons. Um, and now, you know, we went, went 12 and 4 last year. And now that we're on a rise, man, I want to be a part of this. But it's just like, at the end of the day, it's his business. So, you know, you got to do what's best for you. Do you have a benchmark in mind for what's a fair deal for you? I do. I know what I want. Um, and they know what I want. So we just want to see what happens. Are you prepared to sit out the season? I'm prepared to do what I got to do, man. Yeah. So, like I said, I hope we, it, don't, it don't come to that. Because, uh... You know, we, we, we can make this run, and uh, you know, I want to do it for, you know, my teammates, uh, Bill, a couple old heads that's in there, and really for the organization to be one of the first guys on the team to bring the organization to the Super Bowl, but you know, we, we need to make some happen. Okay, so that's a lot of bracelets. He's probably looking for a lot of money, if we had to guess. Uh, what are you hearing about where negotiations may stand right now? Well, no surprise that this is bubbling up right now, Jack, given that a lot of players and teams begin or rehash negotiations on the precipice of training camp. We've seen Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett just get deals from the Atlanta Falcons. I think for the Chargers, though, their mindset may not necessarily shift all that much. It's hard to evaluate just how much specifically a running back is worth in today's NFL. It's all circumstantial. But for the Chargers right now, with a long list of talented players and other guys that are not that far away from being paid, you can make a very compelling case that the priority 
is actually the quarterback that Melvin Gordon just expressed such reverence for in Philip Rivers is entering the final year of his contract. It's hard to see if Melvin Gordon is not going to budge. To me, it feels like it could be a long battle ahead because getting him to that top tier of the running back mark compromised some things for the Chargers going forward. Victor, as a, as a teammate, talk to me about the timing of this. How would you feel about, at this point, him stepping away from the team? Yeah, as a teammate, the timing definitely worries me because this is a time where we're getting ready to go to training camp. We're ready to put all our weapons together as a team and go out there and get, get prepared to win football games. So the fact that he potentially won't be there or won't be there by the start of the season kind of worries me as a teammate because we want the guy. And this isn't a team that was just fighting to scratch over 500. This is a team that was competing for a championship and making deep playoff runs and obviously have a veteran quarterback in Phillip Rivers that can take them the distance. So obviously not having Melvin Gordon there for any point in time throughout this year would be you know, catastrophic to this team in order to stay balanced and do all the things they want to do offensively. We're kind of used to, at this point, the next man up resetting the market at that position, right? Why may this be different, though, with Gordon? How do you see it? In terms of ability to reset the market? Exactly. Yep. Well, the starting point, right? So he's, he's at $5.6 million this year. It's his fifth-year option on his rookie contract. Go back to last year at Todd Gurley and the Rams. He was staring at a fifth-year option year, which would have been this year, of, of about $9.6 million. The difference is he was picked in the top ten. Melvin Gordon wasn't. And the way the system works, the option prices are determined based on that. So he's a little bit, even, you know, even for a running back in the final year of his contract, uh, he's still a little bit low. So I think that's that's part of the reason. When you start a little bit lower than those other guys, your, your ceiling probably ends up a, a little bit lower. He hasn't been super-duper healthy. Um, he's scored more touchdowns than anyone but Todd Gurley in the last three years, as you see there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think it's, you know, to, to Field's point about Phillip Rivers and the priorities, I mean, it's. It, I, I think they can get to a number that's between where he is right now and where he probably wants to be in his wildest dreams. But it's not easy. Six of the top ten highest-paid running backs in the league missed games last year due to injury. You can see why teams aren't willing to commit huge, huge money, uh, with a couple of exceptions, at that position. You know, one thing I will say that I drew from that question and answer with Melvin and Gordon was this tone's a little bit different than what I think we felt from Le'Veon Bell. It was simultaneously, I want to do what it takes to get paid, while also acknowledging we've got great team goals ahead of us, yeah, and we're right there. Yeah. It's almost like Melvin Gordon himself is a bit undecided, right? Like, he knows what is at stake for the Los Angeles Chargers with him on the field, which I can imagine is sort of this ambiguously confusing uh, moment for him at this yeah. time. I love him thinking about his teammates, too, because often you always hear about the business aspect of it, but him understanding that he wants to let his teammates know that he doesn't want to leave uh, the Chargers. He wants to be there and compete for the long haul and wants to be a part of this culture that he's been there to, to build and, and, and to be a part of. So I think having his teammates back, is, it was pretty cool to see, especially in that clip. Yeah, your head coach, Anthony Lynn, who's a former running back, who's really tutored him along. I mean, you got to go out and probably want to play for him a little bit, uh, too. But at the end of the day, you got to get this before you go get some football. 100%. All right, so he's due to be the seventh most paid running back, seventh highest paid running back this season. If no, no deal gets done, uh, all that remains to be seen. So with a contract or without a contract, football back today. The Denver Broncos hold their first full practice, 11.15 a.m. Eastern time. So let's get to Mark Schwartz as it all fires up out there in Denver. Jack, John Elway earned his keep when he convinced Peyton Manning to play here in Denver. There's a Lombardi trophy inside the Broncos facility that screams that's true. Now, Elway has handed the reins to 34-year-old Joe Flacco. We just watched him complete his first practice of training camp, and Flacco did look good. But Elway's learned a hard lesson the last three years. 
that in this league, quarterbacks like Peyton don't grow on trees. It's a hard position to fill. And, uh, you know, they don't, you know, we've tried to shake all these trees around here the last four years and quarterbacks didn't fall out of it. So, I mean, it's, it's difficult. But, you know, we've taken a lot of shots. We've tried a lot of different situations. And I felt like, you know, that was the way to go until we got, got it solidified. And so, you know, hopefully with Joe this year, we got it solidified with, you know, Drew learning underneath him. And, and uh, so uh, it, it's been a battle. But, you know, that's, this, this, this league's a battle and it's, it's a tough situation. Flacco had some company in the quarterback group on the practice field. Newly signed second-round quarterback Drew Locke from Missouri also looked pretty good. And those who cover this team closely say that by the Week 10 by Jack, if Flacco's not getting it done, Drew could be unlocking that door. Nicely done. Good stuff there, Mark. So the Broncos have struggled to find any consistency at quarterback outside of Peyton Manning. Under John Elway, the Broncos have used seven different quarterbacks, excluding Manning. Only Trevor Simeon has a winning record. The other six combined for 33 and 38 as the record. So, Bill, I want to get this to you. What's your single biggest concern with a guy like Flacco coming off a year where he was benched, comes over to now be the ace? What's your biggest concern? Accuracy when playing within the pocket. One thing that we know about Joe Flacco, even if he's not the most nimble quarterback in the NFL by any stretch, he's pretty comfortable throwing the football on the move. We've seen a lot of bootlegs, rollouts, things like that, sprint outs during his tenure with the Baltimore Ravens. But when you're playing in the pocket and it's clean, you have to be precise. You have to be elite. You have to make sure that throws are not missed in any way, shape, or form. And I think that inconsistency of accuracy was one of the reasons why. Obviously, his injury was the primary reason why Lamar Jackson was handed the keys last year. But, yeah, I think that accuracy from within the pocket is something that Joe Flacco needs to be terrific with next year. And they'll get a tight end in round one, right? Noah Fan. Yeah. Round one, anytime you go get a tight end that high, you expect him to be something tremendous. Even Gronk, not a first-rounder. What kind of a player do they think that he can be? They, they think he can be an all-around tight end. Uh, at the beginning, I think they think he can be an immediate helper in the passing game as a receiver. Uh, it's a difficult position for guys to have an instant impact in the league because of the, the range of responsibilities. So I, I think it's interesting to watch how the Broncos deploy him and what they ask of him in year one. But I think they do see him as somebody they can add to that young receiving core and help whoever ends up being the quarterback. They, they hope it's Flacco or eventually Drew Locke, whoever it is. But, yeah, he's a guy that they – I mean, it's a clear first-rounder coming off of a, you know, of, a, of a big year, a big several years at Iowa. One of two Iowa tight ends, right, selected yes. in the first round. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a, they think he's an all-around guy eventually. I, I think the question is how can he help immediately, and I think that's probably most likely as a receiver. Who do you think winds up being the number one out there? Is it Emmanuel Sanders? Can he hang on to that, like 32 years old, something like that at this I point? I think he can, but it's dwindling. I think Sutton's really a good young player, obviously from a stature perspective, 6'4", about 215 pounds. That's the type of receiver you want as your number one guy, the guy that you can kind of throw it up there, make make something out of nothing kind of guy. And although Emmanuel Sanders has been that, he's been productive, had 3,000-yard seasons with Denver, a 100-yard catch season, which is tremendous, extremely productive. But I think, as you know, this league is always looking to get younger, better, and looking for guys for the long haul. And I think, uh, I think Sutton has the opportunity to be the number one guy. But obviously him and Emmanuel Sanders are both amazing talents to have on your team together. But I think Sutton, you'll see a tremendous rise in his production this year as he gets more comfortable and as he continues to grow within the NFL. 
At the risk of being the bearer of bad news, you know, one of the realities of training camp does mean that injuries follow. Todd Davis, who, uh, you know, a starting linebacker and a key part of this Broncos defense, has left the field, appears to be not a serious injury, which is good news, but something to monitor the opening days of training camp. As we know, despite the fact you don't have the pads on, your body is still getting used to what it's like to be back in football shape. With Brandon Marshall now playing for the Oakland Raiders, Todd Davis has a good chance to be the quarterback of this Broncos defense. Before we can even start celebrating, we already have somebody leaving the field, and that's not that's very, <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what's what it's So let's get to this. Just two days after inking their stud defensive tackle Grady Jarrett to an extension, the Falcons strike again. The absence of Deion Jones a season ago forced the Atlanta Falcons to appreciate his greatness. And yesterday, Jones gets $57 million over four years, $34 million guaranteed. But my question is this. C.J. Mosley gets $17 million per year, Dan. Deion Jones gets $14 million per year on an average. How do you justify it? Well, C.J. Mosley was a free agent. He had multiple teams bidding, and, and it was sort of unfettered, no ceiling on what he could earn, where Deion Jones is talking to one team, and the, they, they don't have to sign him. He would play for them for a little over a million dollars this year if they had done nothing. So his leverage was not certainly what C.J. Mosley's was. Um, his second-round pick in 2016 could have played out the year and tried to go free agent like Mosley did, but there's obviously risk inherent in that for players coming off injury especially. Uh, so, yeah, he, he ends up taking, I'm sure, I mean, it's life-changing money for him. But being the second-round pick, it's a double-edged sword. You don't get stuck with the fifth-year option, but and, I mean, so you get to negotiate your contract sooner, but you're also working off a much lower number in that fourth year. That's true, too. So uh, tell me about Deion Jones. Like, how, how is he, what does he do most for that Falcons defense? I mean, he's all over the place. He's, he's sideline to sideline, as they call it, for linebackers. And the biggest thing is the last year he was healthy, he had 10 tackles for a loss. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a guy that can get in the backfield that fast and that accurately and get to those, get either to the quarterback or to the running back with the ball in the backfield, I mean, that's something that you just can't replace in Deion Jones. And I think he was one of the, obviously one of the biggest reasons why that defense, amongst all the other injuries that they, that they suffered a year ago, but, uh, Having him at that position be injured was catastrophic for that team, and it showed in their performance defensively last year. Wasn't the only player who was injured for the Atlanta Falcons defense amongst the other notable names, Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, so many players that were dinged up last year. But back to Deion Jones, I think there's a case to be made for him as the most gifted coverage linebacker in the NFL today. Let's take a look at a few plays here that illustrate that. First of all, you don't want to get suckered into always reading the quarterback's eyes, but you do want to be patient, which is what Deion Jones was on this play. And then watch the reach here to go up high point the football, get it. And when you have the football in your hands and you're a defensive player, you're thinking about one thing and one thing only, six points. Excellent speed in the open field from Deion Jones. Looks fast in that number 45. Second play here again. Look at the motion that you see from Ted Ginn is designed to drag Deion Jones away from this play. Instead, he sniffs it out, sees Alvin Kamara on a screen or on a little supposed to be a, a well-designed screen. Not so fast. Same thing right here. Willie Sneed again. They were trying to draw him to his left. Deion Jones instead. He eats it up going to the right. And watch this player right here. Now, he gets a big assist from Grady Jarrett doing a great job at the point of attack, handling the double team and the fullback Zach Line. But look at the instincts of Deion Jones to meet Mark Ingram, the divisional rival. Game being played in New Orleans. And when you meet him, you don't meet him with a patty cake. You meet him with force. This guy is a tone-setting player, one of the best linebackers in football, and now is paid exactly like it. Dude, I loved you on TV. You still got a little scout in you, though. I, that came oh, out right there. Oh, you know. <laughs> just came exploding out of you. Yeah, I, you like that. I love, it. Right, right? I love it. So Dion's paid, right? Julio Jones, who probably has the only private Twitter account that I've ever seen from a superstar, also has a <laughs> private jet. Take a look at this. Man, shout out Mr. Blank, man. Got the Jones boys on here. Debo. 
know what I mean? Uh, the E man. Man, shout out Mr. Blank man. Got the Jones boys on here. Debo. You know what I mean? man that's a nice jet what's, what's it mean you got double you yeah, got the nice. two the two cabins nice and, nice and yours spring rolls is that a little vegetable spring roll you had yeah, yeah i think you had a little, little spring spring catering roll. it's gotta be tough asking for a new contract when you're flying around just gonna say jack i'm sitting here thinking to myself if i'm rich enough to already have my own jet i'm not worried about getting a new contract well, he said, he said shout thanks. out to mr plank yeah, so it has to be his plane i'm assuming um but still it's Pretty decent plane to be on. I'm not mad at that. Do you think he's deserving of being the highest paid receiver right now, being 30 years old? Well, I think he does. I think mainly because if you look at the numbers, right, the numbers speak for themselves. The last three years, he hasn't put up less than 1,400 receiving yards, obviously eight touchdowns a year ago. almost You could put him down, for pencil him in for 100 catches almost every year. But I think the biggest thing nowadays is his attitude. I think from an attitude perspective, there's not one person in Atlanta that says anything bad about the guy. I think his work ethic is off the charts. And I think he still has a lot more to give. Even at 30 years old, he can still run with the best of them. He can still high point the football. He's still a force to be reckoned with out there on the football field. And you have to account for him, not just with one guy in the secondary when you play against him. So I think because of that, all those things encompassing nowadays in an athlete, especially in a superstar athlete, um, you got to take all these things into consideration when wanting to give him that money. And I think he's earned it. You know, Julio Jones himself, Arthur Blank, the owner, GM Thomas Dimitrov, head coach Dan Quinn, have all spoken about this contract like it's a formality, like it's a foregone conclusion, like it will eventually get done. So we, we think that it will. Here's the challenge for the Falcons once that contract is done. They've got about eight guys locked in to a massive percentage of their salary cap for the next handful of years. They've got to draft incredibly well. They've got to find value. They've got to find themselves the next Devontae Freeman and the next Grady Jarrett, fourth or fifth round picks who can be notable parts of their roster. True. And it's not like Matt Ryan's cheap either. You start looking around. Exactly. A lot of checks being written there in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm pretty sure our new house might be haunted. What makes you say that? The furniture is levitating. Oh, and the ghost. Welcome home. Yeah, that's that's spooky. You know what's really scary? Missing out on GEICO for help with homeowners and renters insurance. GEICO makes it easy to save a bunch. Great. Uh, you're not sticking around, right? The party's just getting started. <laughs> Happy geico Call today and see how easy homeowners and renters insurance can be. Welcome back to NFL Live. Just announced yesterday, Cleveland ace Baker Mayfield will be on the cover of ESPN the magazine. That'll hit newsstands in August. And the Browns, they swung their haymaker this offseason, trading for Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ averaging 92.8 receiving yards per game, which is the second most in NFL history with a minimum of 50 games. Julio is number one on that list. And a massive piece at the tail end of that trade, pro bowler Olivier Vernon, Comes over from the Giants. He had seven sacks last season, which led them. Vernon will start opposite Miles Garrett with Sheldon Richardson right there in the middle. A lot to like about that. And Dorsey wasn't done yet. Kareem Hunt, almost 3,000 scrimmage yards since entering the league, will be suspended for the first eight games, but returns week 10 as we tally that bye week in as well. So in 2018, the Browns missed the playoffs for the 16th straight year. But there's no debate. The 16th was different. With a list of ads, Cleveland expectations only begin with making the playoffs right now. Mina Kimes is going to explain in her cover story, currently online, that Mayfield takes pride in being his own unique version of a franchise quarterback. Baker's got the snap. He's going for Landry. Touchdown! Well, Baker Mayfield, here you go. Center stage, just the way you like it. 
you were asked at the Combine about the prospect of playing for the Browns, and you said, if anyone can turn that franchise around, it'd be me. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about that uh, statement? Um, you know, some people it rubbed the wrong way because they read it as, oh, he thinks he can do it himself. No, just the attitude that I try and bring, I viewed that as, uh, that's my next challenge and that's what I want to do. You very famously are the underdog, you've got the chip on your shoulder. You're not really an underdog anymore. How do you find things to fuel you when there aren't really haters in the same way? I used to keep a list and all that stuff, but I realized, you know, eventually that's going to run out. You look at Michael Jordan or Kobe or Tom Brady that's still playing, they have their inner motivation. You know, they have every reason to be complacent and say, you know what, I don't have to do this. But when you find your routine and you find what you're, you know, what drives you, um, that's, that's really key. First of all, this is the most people we've had in this room ever. <laughs> By far. I mean, glad you guys showed up. Walk me through your reaction, your emotions when you found out Odell was coming to Cleveland. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I could walk you through it. It was uh, pretty hectic. Um, I just remember, you know, hearing the rumors and stuff going back and forth and hearing the kind of the ups and downs of, is it going to happen, is it not? And then I got a text from Freddie and he said, we just got a little bit better and a little bit, yeah, and casual Freddie terms. Um, so no, that was, uh, it was really exciting and I had a friend on the couch that goes, oh my God, you guys just got Odell. So me being me, not holding anything back, got up and just, I mean, overcome with emotion because, you know, I, I know him, everybody can have the perception, but who he is in the locker room, you know, the bar and the standard he sets, that goes much further than anything he could ever do on the field for us. Count it down, everybody. The Browns are winners tonight. And the drought is over. Led by the number one overall draft choice, Baker Mayfield. They come back and win over the Jets. Hallelujah. When you won that first game versus New York, how did the city react? Um, I'll be honest, I was a little worried about the city crumbling down of excitement. Um, no, it was, uh, you could tell people were just overcome with joy and overcome with emotion, like a weight lifted off their shoulders. And that's, that's really, you know, the feeling that I had too. It was like, okay, let's get used to this and, and you know, let's enjoy it, but then move on. Knowing like what the fans have been through, do you feel even greater pressure to bring this team to the playoffs and finally reward them after so much misery? I don't feel pressure. Um, you know, these fans deserve it. You know, they're, they're diehard fans. And it's very rare to have, you know, fans like that through thick and thin trying to reawaken that beast, as John Dorsey says, and, you know, get these people excited again because they haven't tasted that feeling in a long time. It's a heck of a read, too. You can find that work by Mina Kimes, Baker on the cover of ESPN Football Issue. That story on ESPN.com hits those newsstands August 16th. So, Victor, from where you sit, what does Baker do best? What's his number one trait in your eyes? Well, I think it's two things that kind of stand out for me. And one, I'll start in the locker room. When you see a guy that in press conferences are, are taking control of the team, being the leader that he wants to be, taking guys under his under his wing, taking the team and setting the standard for what is expected of this team, what's expected of him and, and the things that he wants out of his teammates. And I think that's the biggest thing. And on the field, I think just his precision 
and his accuracy with the football, I think understanding where he wants to go and having the arm strength to get the ball there in a timely way, I think that's his biggest attribute. And he's only growing. He's still seeing more defenses. He's got some new tools, some new weapons to play with, and he's really going to you know, pick up his play, I think, in, in the next year. Yeah, and Dane has this article that's the next three-year predictions, right? Predictions for the next three years. And you say Odell Beckham Jr. will lead the NFL not only in receiving yards but also in touchdowns. Why do you say so? Because he's awesome. Right? I mean, like, somebody's going to, and, and he's as good as anybody. And I just think he's in a great position right now with, the, with what they have in this offense, with the ascending quarterback, his best friend playing there alongside him in, in uh, Jarvis Landry. I think there's a group of players who are kind of out of sight, out of mind, and we forget sort of how great they are. Le'Veon Bell, I would put in this group as well after he missed all of last season. You know, you hear so many of this, you see, hear so much of this sort of negativity around Odell so much, you forget when he's on the field how electrifying he is. And I just think he's in a real good place, and I think he's, he's in position to thrive there in Cleveland. This, I, we talk on and on about how great this roster is and all the additions, and they're flashy, and they're sexy in a lot of ways, the, the moves that they've made. But where's the remaining holes? Where do you see holes in this Browns roster? Not, not sure if it's a hole per se, Jack, but I am very much evaluating the offensive line in Cleveland this year. How does it take shape? Because the offensive line is the position group where the hole can often be greater than the sum of its parts. Greg Robinson played pretty well last year for the Browns, a reclamation project of sorts. He got a one-year deal to return. Can he solidify that left tackle spot? If he does, he'll get paid a ton of money. Joel Batonio, what kind of responsibility does he take on? And, and, and Austin Corbett, an ascending young player. I think Batonio can be the mentor for this group. Sort of like Joe Thomas. Not to necessarily put anybody in the same class as Joe Thomas, but what do we see out of Austin Corbett? Can Greg Robinson steady the left tackle spot one more time? If that offensive line can be really good... I mean, there really isn't a flaw in the offense then. The defensive line gets way better, right? And the offensive line gets worse. I almost wonder, what would you rather have, a good offensive line or a good defensive line? You have a strong opinion there? Um, I would definitely go with, I mean, it's tough because both are so important, right? right? One has to get to the quarterback, and they all kind of work together. But I'd have to go offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think to keep that quarterback up upright and make sure he's got the vision to see down the field, make all the throws, make all the big throws, I think that's – the most important part for your entire team is making sure your quarterback is playing at a high level and can pull you out of some jams and get you out of some tough situations if need be. So if the quarterback is indeed playing at a high level, what can Odell Beckham Jr. be on the field? Uh, he could be something special. I remember him coming into the league. We played two years together, and I think a lot of things, I may have taught him some things here and there about uh, the way I approach the game, but just him, man, he has a tenacity and a passion for the game. And I think there's a couple clips here that, that we're pulling up uh, you know, you got this normal slant route that's usually an 8- to 10-yard game, maybe a first down. But if one guy falls around Odell Beckham Jr., he could just turn it into a 70-plus-yard touchdown easily. Obviously, swagging, want a little bit more ball security than that. I'll give him a call. Um, obviously, this slant play, we've seen this 100 times. Another one, a slant play that maybe goes for a first down in 10, 11, 12 yards, which is a big game. But with Odell Beckham Jr., he can take any small play and take it the different, uh, the distance, rather. And then lastly, obviously lined up here in the slot a little red zone, corner route. I think it just shows that he can do it all. He, he has his hand. He has strong hands at the point of attack and can fight through contact. It's a big safety he had to fight through. And then you snow cone. We call that a snow cone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jog, I don't know if you know that. A little snow cone action right there. And you give it a peek. <laughs> I know about make snow sure. cones. Yeah. Uh, you know about snow cones. Yep. Absolutely. But Odell Beckham Jr. is a dynamic, excuse me, wide receiver. 
and can and can add a different element to the passing attack of you the know, Cleveland Browns. After his rookie year, I was talking to our former colleague here, Darren Woodson, and he said, you know, they they train you as defensive backs, say, look at the hips, not the eyes, because the hips don't lie. Mm-hmm. He said, his hips lie. <laughs> like, the way he moves in the yeah. open field, like you can't you can't play him the way you traditionally would because of the number of different things he can do athletically. Yeah, I, I think it was actually Shakira that said that, Dan. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's where Darren heard it. I don't know. Uh, you had this article online, so I want to go back and review some of the great literary works, if you will, oh, come of on, Dan Graziano. One of the absolute best. <laughs> Back when first, I had go ahead and bring time. those books over if you don't mind. His first novel titled, I think she's I'm trying gonna... to tell me something. Need some romance novels? I'm going to reject hearing this. We're going giving our producer these copies of these books. It's not, no, it's not. I did not know you. You were. When this, okay. when this came out, you were probably, what, about five or six years old, I think. So it's not about you. <laughs> I think that's probably about right. Yeah. This is back when I had free time and, and uh, before the kids came along and I was able to do some writing in my free time. I always wanted to be a novelist. I, I wrote two of them. I those things up. I got to You want to know what? You're right. You I, I think they're pretty too. hard to find <laughs> at this <laughs> point. But I got some boxes <laughs> in my basement. I can hook you up. fine print. So, Sometimes yeah, a man know. must do what a man must do. Dan, what must a man do? That was uh, that book is about uh, that book's about a man and woman in a long term relationship and she tells him hey you got to give me an answer in a week or else I'm leaving so oh, it wow. takes you through their week Heard that I don't before. know it was yeah, uh, that before yeah. it was fun I mean I you know that's why I, I always wanted to do that when I was a kid write books and I wrote a couple maybe love it. someday yeah can I you bring it bring it back awesome. right. What's no, that? You got plenty of time. Bring it back. I mean, maybe. Just write me into one, Dan. Can you write me into sure. one? Sure, absolutely. These are, these are pretty dang, pretty dang cool. So we got the books. We got them right here. These things are the real yeah, deal, I, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, take these I'll bring more copies. I guess I got boxes. Do you know? Ultimatum. Fun fact: the second one was published in Poland. as you can see. Yeah, Poland. Get a little extra money in that. The headshot. Then give us the idea behind this article. We're not talking about the books anymore? We've actually moved on from the books just because we like you. We're going to get to the article. We have done this now three years in a row. Uh, where we look at, you know, let's let's plot out the NFL over the next three years and see some of the developments we can we can expect to see. It's a little bit different from a one-year prediction column. It probably is a you know July product, right, when things are a little slow in the league. But it's fun. It's fun to look out and, and kind of see, like, put together some of the notes you've you've come you've put together over the uh, off season and sort of project out some things you think might happen based on the trends and what people are uh, what people are telling you. So let's get to your predictions. You get you got the Browns here. We're going to keep it in Cleveland. You say that the Steelers will win more AFC North titles than the Browns. Big Ben, 37 years old, though. Why do you say so? Well, that could be, what, 2-1 to one or one nothing, right? So it's only talking about three years. But I just think the Steelers, you know, you have a coach and a quarterback who've never had a losing season in their careers. You have the Browns who are, haven't won the division since 1989. The Steelers are keenly aware of, A, that last fact, and, B, the fact that so many people are picking the Browns to win the division this year. I think they're a chip-on-their-shoulder team. I think they're they're established at the key positions. They remind me a little bit of last year's Seahawks. A lot of people wanted the Seahawks to kind of yeah. go away, but when you're that strong at coach and quarterback and you have that kind of consistency there, you're a dangerous team to write off. I just think the Steelers have something left before they turn it over to Cleveland. I'm throwing a flag in here. I'm throwing a flag in here. Oh, here we not, go. I'm not uh I'm not sold on that right quick. But mainly the flag? That's a, a penalty flag. flag. Right a penalty flag. <laughs> penalty flag. Penalty flag. flag. Yeah. It's a penalty flag. Mainly because the Browns, I feel like they're just younger. I yeah. feel like they have a core and a nucleus of players that are much younger than the than the Steelers do. I feel like they have a quarterback who's ascending. I obviously Big Ben, no slight on Big Ben. He's definitely a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in my opinion, but I just think 
from a youth perspective over the next three years, if this Browns team begins to gel and begins to understand who they are and begin to start clicking on all cylinders, both offense and defense, they can definitely take over this division for the next three years. But it's a lot of ifs, right? I mean, we got last offseason where people would stand here and say, well, I think the 49ers will finish ahead of the Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep using this example, but I like it. It fits here. I think, you know, you've got to show me. And the Browns have all the pieces in place, but they have not done a lot of winning. The players they brought in have not done a lot of winning, right? I mean, like Odell, for all his greatness, a lot of losing seasons there in New York. So I, I think that's it can happen. There's no question about it. I still think there's some gas left in this tank. We'll see. I think Cleveland's got some high-character guys that can be able to turn that thing around. But it starts with this year, starts with week one, and it also starts with Baker Mayfield. Can he Mm -hmm. continue to grow and mature and bring some guys up with him? Let me ask you this. Because the Browns. I know. I couldn't take it seriously. I'm just going to try to find a way to talk about this is the ultimatum. Hey, the best part Real. is there's a little a little photo of oh, yeah. you back here. <laughs> oh, you're not just actually making sure you guys know what's yeah. up. No, it's him back there. Long time ago. Hey, it. let me ask you this real quick. Who's more talented, the Cleveland Browns as they stand or the Steelers as we've known them? The big Bs, if you will, A.B., Le'Veon, Roethlisberger. Who would you take? Go ahead. Yeah, Pittsburgh Steelers. No. The, the killer bees as, as they were, or even right now. I mean, the 1-53, to I still take the Steelers roster over <laughs> the Browns. The gap has been significantly narrowed, but... I don't want to. Dan was just saying a minute ago that sometimes we we forget the greatness of individual players when they've been away or had some extenuating circumstances. Le'Veon Bell, Odell Beckham not playing the last quarter of last season. The Killer Bees were unbelievable. I mean, elite quarterback, best wide receiver in football, and the best running back in football as well. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to NFL Live, and this currently trending online. Dan Graziano's not bold but realistic twenty five <laughs> predictions for the next three seasons. Want to start with this one? Zeke Elliott will hold out of training camp, not this season. You're saying, but the following. I think if, he, does, if he doesn't have a new contract by next year, I think he's a training camp holdout next year. I can't rule out the possibility of him doing it this year, but I still think it's unlikely. I think you know, with two years left on the contract. You know, he had a uh, kind of a spotty offseason, right? He had to go meet with the commissioner. I, d- I just think that that would be ill-timed at this point. Uh, and they, ha- they do have higher priority guys, Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott most prominently. So uh, I think um, with two years left on the deal, they still have time to get it done. But if there's no deal left, if there's no deal done by this point next year, I think you're looking at a similar situation to where Melvin Gordon is right now. Yeah, and if he holds out too long this year in training camp, he runs the risk of missing an accrued season, which would advance him further towards free agency. If you're going to hold out, it has to be the final chip that you play, right? right? The final card that you play. He's got two years left in his contract. So if he holds out and the end result is no new deal, what's he going to do next year? Because his second straight holdout would feel like much more of an empty threat. And it's important to know they have been talking. There have been yep. conversations between Elliott's agent and the Dallas Cowboys as recently as last week. So he, it may just be that he needs to, to feel a little love and to know that they're headed that way eventually, and that may get him to camp this year. Well, again, we can't get it 100%, but I would be surprised at this point if he were to hold so out this year. Could there be any strategy? We've seen this in the NBA from time to time. There's already CBA negotiations underway, right? Could there be any strategy to waiting until after that deal is done for Zeke to strike? There could be, but I mean, at running back especially, you, you want your money when you can get it, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, nothing's promised. I mean, they have, the Dallas Cowboys have control of this player for really three more years at least. You know, the, the, the fourth year this year, the option year in 2020, a possible franchise a year in 2021. Well, at his current pace, that's a thousand touches. 
I mean, if you have the next 1,000 touches of your right. of your premium running back for a guy cost control, it's hard to move. So I think if they did a deal right now, it would be team favorable. Okay, let's get to the Le'Veon Bell one. You said Le'Veon Bell will change teams again. Why and where? Well, let's see, we predicted last year he would change teams. So that one, I wanted to recall one that came true. And there was more than done. one, by the way. <laughs> if people want to look, last year's done. Uh, but look, it's a point about the contract. Yep. Le'Veon Bell's contract with the Jets is is really two years and $27 million. That's all that's guaranteed, and they can move on after the 2020 season if they want to. We've been talking all show about running backs and how hard it is to pay them. He's going to be two years older than he is now. I just feel like, you know, the Jets, there's some uncertainty there about the relationship with the head coach. You know, there's been some reporting done on that. And we've seen Adam Gase when he was in Miami not afraid to move guys out, even if they were star players, if, if they didn't fit what he wanted them to be. So if that ends up being true, it makes it even more likely. But, yeah, he's it's 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 basically a two-year contract, nothing promised to levy on after that. Man, as a running back in this league, this, it's got to be one of the hardest positions to not only to play but to try and be successful in, to yeah. get paid in. Such a tough position to play and to be at a position to have kind of some leverage, um, you know, especially like Le'Veon or, or Melvin Gordon or even Zeke. You have to relish in that because it's not going to come often for your running back position. And the moment you have to change the market a little bit, you got to take advantage of that because you got guys like Saquon Barkley coming up the rear that are looking at these deals and say, how can I change and shift the market myself so it's, you know, just a better situation for, for the running backs that come after. It feels like a slam dunk. Yeah. It's, it's thankless, though. It's a thankless position talking about yes. the running back. You don't get paid what you're supposed to make. It's just like it's the whole thing, and you take the most hits of any position on the entire field. Overworked and they, underused. Hopefully that's they can why, fix that in the CBA. That's why Le'Veon set out. He exactly. didn't want to take the, the pounding heading into free agency. I don't know how you're doing. Welcome back to NFL Live or MLB Live right now as it stands. Matt Nagy putting a little mustard right sauce there. on that Put thing. Sauce Pretty on good. Too. Former Delaware and arena football quarterback he was, and what I'm told, he can sing a little bit, too. Take a listen to the Bears coach, that long-standing tradition in the seventh-inning stretch at Wrigley Field. Listen to this. Okay, so I mean, kicking game aside, life pretty good there for uh, there for Nagy in Chicago. Lamar Jackson going to throw out the first pitch at the Orioles game right. in front of about 15 like fans it. there at the stadium or so. Take a look. Oh yeah, yeah. a couple people showed up. Like That's pretty good throw off. though. It's accurate. What a nice. <laughs> hey, yeah. it was. It was yeah. accurate. Throwing a baseball, right? Oh, oh, throwing football. So the final it's vacation coming to a close. You now have seven teams in training camp. As you look at the map. Six with the rookies, either in camp or reporting today. Those include the Ravens, Seahawks, Falcons, Lions, Saints, and Cardinals. Kyler Murray going to be reporting to camp as well, and his fellows rookies out there in Arizona. So let's take a listen in to Pedro Gomez as he is on the scene. Well, Jack, in order to avoid Arizona's excessive heat, which is expected to reach a high of 110 today, walkthroughs are inside the team's bubble every day in Tempe for Kyler Murray and Cardinals rookies leading up to the first full team workout next Wednesday. There are morning weightlifting sessions and meetings with Coach Cliff Kingsbury every day for Murray as well. All told, Murray, who Cardinals general manager Steve Keim announced as the starter, will have an extra full week of work over most every other starter in the league thanks to rookie rules in the collective bargaining agreement. 
the extra week could prove beneficial for Murray, who is already somewhat familiar with Kingsbury's offense. Jack? How much do you think they have to learn here when, as you get into training camp? This is an offense that's rare in the National Football League, if not the first of its kind in some ways. It's going to be a pretty serious training camp out there in Arizona. Yeah, no question. I mean, it has to be, right? It certainly has to be. It's the coach coaching for the first time at the NFL level in this capacity. It's a quarterback making his NFL debut. Basically, it's Larry Fitzgerald and his new friends, right? I mean, that's really what it boils down to. <laughs> yep. Christian Kirk, uh, TJ Humphreys, along the offensive line, some of the you know, incumbent holdover pieces. But they, basically, it's new beginnings. Like, half, like, yeah, some teams choose not to have uniform uh, names on the back of their uniforms during training camp. Like the Cardinals might not have a choice, right? Like there's so <laughs> many new faces that even, even when the season begins, Patrick Peterson's going to miss the first six games because mm-hmm. of a suspension. So really, I mean, few teams have had as significant of an off season as the Arizona Cardinals in so many ways. Free agency, they were aggressive. The draft, they were obviously aggressive. Coaching staff, totally remade. Fascinating year ahead for them. Yeah. You like the receivers? What do you think of the group? I do. I'm interested to see that dynamic, right? Obviously, Larry Fitzgerald leads that group. But how does it work with a bunch of guys that basically probably weren't even born Larry Fitzgerald's <laughs> rookie year in the league? So it's like, how does that dynamic kind of fold in there? Obviously, got Andy Isabella guy. got a UMass guy. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't have any questions with the UMass guy getting getting the learning <laughs> oh, curve, boy. let's be clear. Oh, boy. Um, but, but it's interesting to see just how it all comes together, how his impact and obviously his leadership can kind of fold over and and bleed over into these younger players and see how they're able to kind of gel together and be that dynamic group that Kyler Murray is looking for. As a young dude, as a rookie especially, what's the hardest part about contributing your first year, which they're going to have to do? I mean, there's, just, there's so much thrown at you, so much information, new terminology, new verbiage, all these different route trees that you probably yep. didn't do in college. So it's a matter of just slowing the game down, getting in that playbook, understanding what's being asked of you, and slowing everything down in your mind so that when you go out there on on game days and even on the practice field early on, you can kind of go out there and click and go out there and know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. which is the biggest key. It's one thing to not do something right. It's another thing to not know what you're doing, Mm -hmm. and coaches hate when you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) I wonder if it's easier. Like, you mentioned that some of the things may change, but this really is a college offense, right? Like, do you think that it could possibly be easier for the guys in Arizona? Well, it could be, but what's different, to Victor's point, is the speed, right? I mean, you may know everything you're supposed to do, but you get into a preseason game, and here comes... Whoever, I don't know who they're playing in the preseason. All of a sudden, here comes Von Miller, Khalil yeah. Mack. Well, that changes things. You didn't really see that in college, or if you did, it was it was once in a great while. So I think that's the key here, and that's why I think they're, you know, what Pedro was talking about, spending a lot of time studying, because the best way to, to combat that is is preparation, I guess, because until you see it live, you, you don't know how you're going to react to it. Exactly. A lot of talk about four wide receiver sets, which sounds good in theory because it works at the college level. I do wonder how that impacts the protection of Kyler Murray. This mm. offensive line was basically five turnstiles last year. And having just one running back and four wide receivers doesn't do much to fortify that protection. It's going to have to be a precision-based passing game. It's going to have to be wide receivers getting open early. He's going to have to run and run to throw. He's going to have to find those spots. He can do that now. He can run. But Russell Wilson's so great at that, too. Drops back further than anybody. Scrambles all the way around. He's going to have to do it. He's going to have to get creative with that thing if he is the week one starter. Press coverage right now from the Raiders on quarterback Derek Carr. Hard knocks. Already starting at the house today. Might as well have fun with it. Anyone need a shout-out? Any mixtapes out there? Some help? Hard knocks from one quarterback to another. We will go, look at Derek Carr. That's going to be one heck of a show, man. Let's go from one quarterback to another here. First team, first full practice today as they get ready for that Hall of Fame game. Here is Joe a short time ago. I've been fortunate to be a part of a lot of hardworking players and, and, and people that really care about what we do. So when you have that, 
you're, you have a really good starting point for that stuff not to happen. Obviously, your frustrations throughout the course of a game go on, but that's the stuff that I more look at as kind of being a whiner. You know, like if, if you're frustrated, well, fix it. Go play better. I don't want the people that I care about to look at me and say, stop being a baby, you know. So um, I want the most out of my guys. I want to know that my guys are giving 100%. And when that's not happening, then that's the opportunity you have to get fired up a little bit and let the guys know, hey, your head better be in this and it's going to take all of us to get this thing done. All right, Joe. I like it. So a little attitude there from Joe. Is that is that a new Joe, you think? What's your reaction to what you just heard? It looks like a renewed Joe. Like he's in a yeah. new, you know, a new territory, new team, and he wants to lay down the foundation of how things are going to go here, how he wants things run and the energy and the mindset that he's looking for from not just himself but his players as well. And he's holding people accountable. You want to be there, prove you want to be there and have the right attitude, and we'll be able to be in contention and win some ballgames this year. You hear that they're trusting Joe at this point? Is Locke, is he going to be any kind of a competition in camp? They, they don't want it to be a competition. They want Drew Locke to learn and develop. So their hope is that Flacco starts and has a big year and holds down that job all year. Of course, best laid plans, we know all about that. But, but that's the Broncos' plan at this point is to tutor Drew Locke and start Joe Flacco. They had a lot of plans. What are you going to say? Oh, so if anybody is, is wondering, I do have a mixtape. And uh, Derek Carr, feel free to maybe send <laughs> a DM on the Twitter. You know me. Take a little flashback as well. Super Bowl 49. What a game this was. This was a catch. This is insane. Look at the concentration. Curse. And Belichick's over there going, not again. And typically (laughs) when you see catches like that towards the end of the game, you're like, oh, it's destiny. It's It's destiny. They're going to win it. This is it. Yeah, they're down there. All you can do is running in with Marshawn Lynch, right? Yeah, you're on the, what, three, four? They didn't do that. They didn't do that. Still confused as to why you There was a certain guy on the call during this game who was also pretty confused by that play call. Jack. I, I mean, like, Richard Sherman is confused. Richard Sherman looks a little, <laughs> it's a little like, more what? than confused. He's yeah. literally like, what? Oh, my goodness. Oh. That's mm. tough. Great play by Malcolm. Though. Will that go down, Great. you think, as, as one of the worst play calls in NFL history? 100%. I mean, Biggest Super Bowl debate? blunder calls. Yep. Yeah, I think from a result standpoint, listen, the play call, it's not unfathomable to throw the, throw the football at the one-yard line. But the result is as bad as you yeah. could possibly imagine. From At the highest stage. Super Bowl champions to Super Bowl runner-up and, uh, you know, one of the most iconic plays. Maybe, maybe the most iconic play in Super Bowl history. It's right up there. It's Arguable. up there. No question. It's up there at the very least. Let's give our guy Mario Manningham a little love on the toe tap there. <laughs> sure, the no, but, but one of the most. No, no, no. But that play was huge. Tell me that, that play was huge. David Terry, yep. To seal the game. Let's get it back to yours. So you have your next three seasons, your predictions, your next real predictions for the next three seasons. Which one are we going to get into next? What else next? did you like? So we have, I think, I think probably in the AFC East, right? We were talking about Tom Brady. You're talking about. The uh, New England Patriots, and you said that they will win a Super Bowl in the next three. You got both. I mean, right? Like this, yeah. I had to get to 25. Yeah. Yeah, you got both. Right? So yeah. you have to put some stuff. <laughs> look, I mean, look, I mean, this is the Patriots. I mean, the quarterback is almost my age. You know, they, they've done it so much. But I, I still think the division is theirs for the taking. I still think, I mean, Gronkowski's a huge loss, but there's no better puzzle solver in the game than Bill Belichick, and he's working on how to overcome that. I just think anybody who wants to write them off because Gronk is – is gone and Brady's old. I just think they haven't been paying attention. This is a machine up there in New England. And so first-year receivers, rookie receivers have struggled with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. They don't explode. Nikhil Harry has to do that. Why could he be different? What are you hearing about him? One thing that's interesting about Nikhil Harry is in the past they've had young wide receivers they've invested in who they were hopeful to develop. 
this is the first guy that they've really needed in the way that they need Nikhil Harry right now. Like, there's a chance that he is the co-number one wide receiver along with Julian Edelman. Now, maybe not a great chance. Edelman is the, you know, he's the been there, done that Super Bowl MVP. But Nikhil Harry brings them a size, brings them a physicality element, a run-after-catch ability that could be difference a difference maker and dynamic in this offense. The guy also returned punts in college, something they could probably use a little bit of from him as well. You don't want to put too much expectations on a rookie for any wide receiver because we've seen such a slow development of them recently, but the Patriots could really use this guy. The thing with him, too, as as a wide receiver, especially within that system, you know Belichick's going to have him doing all the dirty work. You're going to have to block. You're going to have to make sure you're doing running your route combinations so that other people get open, making sure you're where you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to be so everything times up. So a lot's going to be as of him, not just catching and running and doing all those fun things, but getting into that dirty work, too, which Belichick loves, and he'll reward him later on in the season. For sure. He needs to hang out with Julian Edelman. That's it. Exactly. Nobody digs those safeties exactly. out. Exactly. Uh, quite like Jules. Who's the greatest foe, do you believe, in the East, though, for the Pats? I think As we project the three. I, I don't like any of them in particular, but I, I think the Jets <laughs> I think the Jets probably have the best chip, just because of the offseason additions. When you add Le'Veon Bell yep. and C.J. Mosley, yep. I mean, these are high, high-impact guys. So I think that's a... That's a team. Obviously, it requires uh, a year of development from Sam Darnold. It requires some things to come together on their offensive line. You know, some some steady solutions to develop a wide receiver. But if you have to pick one of those three teams, that's the one I would pick. And it's a quarterback confidence thing, right? Who do you like most? Yeah. Of Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, right? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is, is Sam Darnold, it's the Jets. Josh Allen's the Bills, and if it's Josh Rosen, which I don't think many people would feel that way, then it's the Dolphins. Yeah. New England's just been playing in the in the just the easiest divisions. They oh just boy. roll through Here year in and year out. But not only that, they do it in the postseason and on the biggest stage in the Super Bowl. So you can't discredit it either way. It's true. I, I had to go back with Nikhil Harry that conversation to figure out the last rookie to have forty catches. I had to go back to this two thousand two and Dion Branch. Oh, all right. You got a Super Bowl MVP too. all the way back. Nikhil Harry has a good good opportunity there to be the next. <laughs> So over the last few years, Broncos, Von Miller, Chris Harris Jr., they've been one of the best, one of the great, really, in all of football, back-end and pass-rush duos. So here are the two buddies. They went to the press conference today, and they're comparing themselves to Shaq and Kobe. Listen to this. Oh, man, we like Shaq and Kobe, man. Uh, whatever type of duo you can think of in the league, I think. Uh uh Him working the front end, me working the back end, and just we've had communication all year, and uh, try to be on that same page. Chris says you're Shaq and Kobe. Who's Shaq? Who's Kobe? Uh, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm definitely Kobe. You know, I'm definitely. Kobe. But I mean, it's I mean, it's a lot of duos out there. Whatever duo you, whatever duo you want for us, you know, we got it. He said, ah, yeah, I'm definitely Kobe. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was definitely gonna go Shaq too. That threw me all the way off. All right, give us. Uh, let's go to some other. We gotta we gotta get some pop culture. NFL comparisons. Is there any other duos that you see? No question about it. Let's go to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Okay. Starsky and Hutch. Remember, Starsky and Hutch had this great, incredible run on television. Sort of like the Patriots, 2001, 2004, three Super Bowls in four seasons. And then the movie comes out, right? Owen Wilson, real, that was to me one of his best movies. Yeah. Patriots back again. I'm throwing oh, Super Bowls in five years. What issue do you, you have here? You are not old enough to remember Starsky and Hutch. There's There's Netflix before. You don't have Netflix? I know. I don't, why would they bring up this picture? Like, where's Owen Wilson? was the last time it was on. The bomb was great. Snoop was great. Legal procedure or something like that. I don't know. I'm going Zeke and Dak as Batman and Robin because I want to know what people think about who's who. 
Right? Normally, the quarterback would be Batman and the running back would be Robin. But Robin. in a case like this, it might be the other way around. It might, I bet. might be. Uh, for me, I got Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. A little Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I like, I like that. that. Ooh, I, obviously, those two guys obviously complement each other very, very well, as do Woody and Buzz. And if you haven't seen well Toy done. Story 4, I was crying laughing in the I'm theater. It was really hey, give me Vontez Antonio Brown. Listen. This thing goes all the way back to 1940. I'm going to throw another flag. I'm going to throw another flag. I'm going to throw my hat. Enjoy it.